Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zara. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. If you could, on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show, and leave us a five-star review. We'll read your review on the air. And if you do so, we will give you a 4K Blu-ray copy that has been given to us by distributors across the country, or across the industry, rather. Uh, best way to help support the podcast is patreon.com slash criticspod. Uh, there you'll get our bonus episodes where we talk about movies, but also music as well. And we generally bring a guest on to make it more interesting. And then finally, if you want to support our podcast merch, head over to tpublic.com and search for Critics Pod, or go to the ihatecritics.net and click on the tpublic link up in the right-hand corner. Usually we record on YouTube live, but not tonight. But if you want to watch live, we usually post on our social media when we are going live, so be sure to follow us on all the platforms. All right. Sorry for last week. It's my fault we missed again. Uh, it's... I just moved into a house to get away from the money pit I was in. And since being in here, the air conditioning has gone out. <laughs> Dishwasher stopped working. The plumbing came disconnected <laughs> underneath the sink in the kitchen. Uh, Lowe's totally screwed up the stove order. Uh, so we sat without an oven for a week. Uh, what else? There's more, and I'm forgetting. Oh, we're trying to train dogs to use an invisible fence. That's painful and hard to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not to mention my job where I'm trying to work. Uh, my wife went on vacation like almost the day we moved into the house, so I was left alone for a week. It's just been a, it's been a fun time, and nothing's gone right. So hopefully, as we, I'm here tonight. So we're we're not on YouTube because of me, but we're getting closer. So hopefully by. <laughs> And it's not getting any better. At some point, I'm going to Louder Than Life in Louisville, so I'll have to miss a week here at the end of September. The week of Kevin Smith, I'm going to be in Seattle. I'll be there for the episode, but I'm going to have to find a time during the weekend to hopefully catch one of the extended Fathom events, which breaks my heart that I can't go the Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday as originally scheduled. Anyway, that's the rest of the month, but let's go ahead and get started with this week's show. Uh... Any specific, let's start with bodies, bodies, bodies. A twenty-four. Sure, bodies, bodies, bodies. Uh, this is a uh, new horror film from A twenty-four, which uh, rarely misses. Uh, the story goes here: they've got a group of kids headed to a uh, place in the in the New York Upper New York area with the uh, you know in the middle of the woods. There's a hurricane party going on. Uh, two of the girls who are going to this arrive. Uh, I think it's a Storm Reed and. Uh, Oh, gosh, the girl from Borat. I can't remember her name now. I'm old. Uh, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they are a couple. They're arriving. And uh, right away, you find out that they may not have been actually invited. Uh, <laughs> nobody knew they were coming, uh, which, may, which just makes for early on awkwardness. Uh, but the whole thing gets pretty awkward. In fact, it grows even more than just merely awkward as the night goes on. Uh, this is a horror movie, so you know there's going to be some blood and guts and so on going on. And how that comes from the form of a game called Bodies, 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 which is supposed to be just a, 
fun little thing where you turn the lights out and everybody goes looking for each other and you're supposed to just touch somebody and they're dead and uh and then everybody has to you know do social deduction to figure out who the killer is uh except that people start actually ending up dead uh i think this is probably my one of my least favorite a24 movies um and the thing about it is is that it it, it just doesn't feel quite as authentic as it should like i think what they're going for is interesting they're going for this combination of both satirizing modern culture but also living within that modern culture it wants to be all things to all people in that way and i just don't think it lands in that way i don't think i think the movie is occasionally kind of uh got a good jump scare quality to it it's got a strong sense of humor these are really terrific actors actors involved uh even Tommy, uh, Tommy, or not Tommy Pete. Davidson, uh, Pete Davidson. I keep doing that all the time. <laughs> I had to go back and rewrite my review afterwards. Um, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, it's fine. It happens. <laughs> I hadn't published yet, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't completely embarrass myself like just now. Um, Pete Davidson. He's you know he's still playing Pete Davidson. He's always going to be playing Pete Davidson in movies, and um, I I didn't particularly find the the twist regarding his character to be all that funny i uh, i know it's meant to be but i didn't find it funny uh and the whole thing just doesn't quite come together for me and i really wanted this movie to come together i kept waiting for that moment to happen where it was going to click in that this is an a24 movie and that it's got a little bit something more going on but I, the, the tricky tone that they're going for in this movie this combination of comedy and and horror just never really lands. And at one point I even thought, oh, they're going to pull the old, it's all just a dream thing. And they almost did, I think. But uh, then they pulled back and I guess everything in this movie actually happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, in the end, yeah, I just was not particularly satisfied with this one. Yeah, I I want to blame it on my age, but it sounds like I'm, that's not the case based on listening to the way you're talking about it. So... I mean, it's definitely a Gen Z horror movie. It's for them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my daughter would absolutely love this movie. However, you know, A24 has given us so much more than that. Uh, they've given us less, too, on occasion. But for the most part, they've given us some pretty high art when it comes to movies. <laughs> so, yeah, when you compare it to other A24s, it definitely is near the bottom of the list. I... It was fine. I, I didn't go see it with my daughter. I think I would have enjoyed it more if I was at least watching it through her. But again, mm-hmm. that, that wouldn't be watching it through a critical eye at that point. I'd just be experiencing it, probably living it through her. And if she enjoyed it, it'd be one thing. But again, it's not A24. In terms of the twist, I didn't see it coming. Uh, at the same time, it's not like... like, oh my God. You know, it's not The Sixth Sense. It's not even The mm-hmm. Mist. Uh, it's, I guess you're right that we're trying to go for comedy. I, I wanted to try to, because it was a 24, you know, I'm trying to like it. I'm trying to do things right. to make me really go. This is amazing because I remember that feeling in the theater. I know you weren't a fan, but when I saw the miss and the way that ended, I was just like, Oh shit. That's it. Make it. I, I just thought it was a ballsy ending at the time because movies weren't really mm-hmm. doing that then. And it just kind of, broad emotion out of me and I was trying to make that feeling with this movie because it kind of does the same thing in a way uh, but it doesn't quite punch you in the face as hard as it really should because mm-hmm. what 
you find out they were doing and what the result is is it, it should be more of a punch to the face you know and listening to you talk about it, I kind of recognize that a little more now I was just kind of writing it off to how oh, it's a Gen Z movie it wasn't for me but that should have been a pretty big punch in the face that twist and it wasn't you know it should have been it is dark but it just you're right it doesn't land it like grazes off the side of your face that's <laughs> a good way of putting it yeah i think i think and part of that is i think that they're playing too much into the tom uh, uh, the pete davidson thing the uh the, t- the too much into his persona relying too heavily on your perception of him uh and and that's really that's fine but i think i think if you had a different actor who who's playing a same role playing a similar role and you know maybe doesn't bring that baggage to it that maybe it might work a little bit better um it might it might have a little bit more punch if he was an actor who was a little bit more unexpected doing something like that uh but when it comes to it being pete davidson it just kind of feels like this is kind of <laughs> based off just the perceived perception of of pete davidson it kind of seems like yeah that tracks like it doesn't it should be funny and it, it, it feels like yeah no that makes sense yeah well, <laughs> Really, if you put any Saturday Night Live character in a role like that, now this was designed to be more like Pete Davidson, but you're right. You have a classically comedic actor in a horror movie, and then there's kind of a humorous ending that's supposed to be kind of dark, and you're right. You throw that comedian into that role, it, it wouldn't work. But if you had, you know, uh, Miles Teller or something like that or whatever, not that he's probably too old for that role at this point, but whatever you know somebody else it's mm-hmm. you're that you're absolutely right i i thought for the most part he was really good in the movie but you're right he was just playing himself so it's not or a perceived version of himself mm-hmm. that we all have i've kind of started to come around on pete davidson i never really was a big fan over the last couple of years i'm starting to like him a little more uh king of staten island was really good yeah and you know, it seems like he's aware of his demons and trying to take care of them. So, uh, you know, I'm always rooting for the guy to be successful. I thought he was good in this. I just, it definitely, I, I'll kind of, honestly, I've forgotten about it until we went through the list of movies before the show because we watched yeah. this two weeks ago. And that's that's really not, not how an A24 no. movie should land. Like, uh, <laughs> A24 movies are not movies you forget about very soon after you see them. They're movies you remember for quite some time. Um, I, I was just writing about uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once again. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> right. that movie rarely leaves my mind. I mean, I never have to see Enemy again, and I'll never forget it. You know? It's exactly. Something, you know, there's the several skin, movies like that. Same I mean, way. Exactly. Waves. Yeah, just the roller coasters of emotions that all these movies have got me through the just the awe of watching some of them just sitting there and being like in total awe of like watching the witch and being like what the, you know <laughs> midsummer not to mention, well, yeah. yeah and i think that's that's not this movie's fault but it's kind of like what pixar does it's kind of like what happened to pixar with like movies like onward like it's like yeah it's pixar but it's not toy story <laughs> right well all all of a sudden a24 is not our our little hidden gem that only we know about you know it's starting to yeah. be more of a it's not quite mainstream but it's just on the cusp of it i mean they're winning this Oscars. certainly feels like yeah this certainly feels like a play a, mi- a mainstream play right 
in in many ways, considering the the rising star cast. Maria Bakula was the actress name I was trying to think of before. Uh, Rachel Sennett, who is uh, just an amazing actress, just love her so much. And Storm Reid is incredible as well. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's a really great cast. It's unfortunate that uh, that uh, I just don't think they had quite the thing that they were. They didn't just quite didn't make it. It's so close to being where it should be, but there's not that transcendent moment where you're like, oh, man. <laughs> and I, I'm wanting that. When I watch an A24 movie, I want that moment. I live for that moment in an A24 movie. Absolutely. You, know, you get it You get it in Lamb. You get it in Midsummer, Hereditary. I just wrote about Hereditary again. Uh- <laughs> I need to watch that again. I just... <sighs> My son wants to watch the scariest movie of all time, and I'm like, I mean, if you were to pull the whole world, they'd probably land on The Exorcist. I know you wouldn't agree, but I, I think if you were to pull most people, that that's what they would <laughs> land on. Uh, but I'm like, if you really want to go scary, <laughs> and then he's like, which one would win in a fight? And I'm like, well, movies don't fight each other, so I can't really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want to genuinely scare somebody, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's the way you scare somebody. That's a scary movie. That's a, that's a terrifying, awesome, brilliant movie, whereas Your Mother Sucks Cock in Hell is like something that Kevin Smith could do. <laughs> I love Kevin Smith. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. But, I mean, uh, that line makes me laugh, and it's supposed to make me, like, be upset. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's right. <clears throat> I just- when I <laughs> when I graduated college, I was going through these job interviews, and they were one one of these jobs. I a friend of mine worked at this company. He was a year older than me, so it was kind of a they would tie you into a partner, and they tied me onto my friend. And he had gone through, and one of his coworkers, anytime they had touched the space bar, it would yell, "Your mother sucks cock in hell" with the Reagan voice. <laughs> Or, and it was always like, eat me, eat me, or whatever. He, he just, every key did something different. I'm like, I'm trying to get a job, and here he is pulling these pranks. I mean, it's saying it out loud. It's like the whole mm-hmm. office can hear him do it. So it was like, I need to say I did not get that job. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, let's see. Let's go with Mac and Rita. Mac and Rita stars uh, Diane Keaton as uh well it doesn't star it stars her but she's the playing the same character as another as this uh young actress uh whose name now would of course escape me but a brit who delivers the best performance in this movie the plot goes that this young woman goes to uh she's kind of got an old soul she likes hanging out with her grandmother and and you know doing kind of old people stuff having lunch or dinner early in the afternoon that kind of thing like wearing vintage clothes uh and, and again her grandmother was like a cool grandma or did cool things with her uh, so she uh, decides to go to this uh, place. Uh, she, her friend is having a uh, uh, bachelorette party in Palm Springs, and she doesn't want to go to this party that the, that they're going to to get drunk and high and whatever. She wants to go do an old person thing. So she decides to go do a past lives regression or something. And instead of that happening, she ends up uh, finding out, finding her true self, which happens to be a 70-year-old woman played by Diane Keaton. It's still her. Like uh, this young woman, but it's the 70 year old version of herself, which is played by Diane Keaton. Uh, so she comes out of that being Diane Keaton and the and she has to go back into the world as Diane Keaton and pretend that she's also like this influencer person that her that her this is her real life. She's actually a real life 
author and influencer. Uh, and Diane Keaton, so basically it's a social media satire with Diane Keaton, you know, becoming a social media sensation as the, the glamour. She's the glamour on Instagram because she's the glamorous grandma. Uh. It's funny, a lady I work with just had a granddaughter and her they decided to call her glamma. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know. Makes me laugh. <laughs> it's it's just very cringy when Diane Keaton does. It's really just cringy well, anytime cringy Diane general. Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> it's cringy when Diane Keaton does just about anything these days. Uh, it's been you know, 20 years since she's been in a good movie. Uh, 22, maybe. It's been a while. <laughs> That she's been in a good movie. Twenty-two in three months. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing my homework on this on the blog. <laughs> Read, reading through my reviews of the Family Stone, and because I said so, and just reliving my trauma. Um, so really, you're just counting. You're at twenty-two now. You're hoping it's twenty-two, <laughs> but it could be twenty-three next week when he gets. <laughs> It keeps going. Um, you know, it's just so cringe. But the thing about it is, the thing that's really sad about this movie is that it's not all bad. Taylor Page from Zola is in this movie, and she's amazing. Uh, she gets nothing to do, unfortunately, so I can't really praise much of what she does. Uh, but the young woman who plays the younger version, the, the actual character, uh, she is so good. And then she's gone from the movie, replaced by Diane Gaten. You're like, no, wait, come back. You're, you're amazing. Come back. I want to see more of you. <laughs> I feel like you're going to say that later on in the show. <laughs> <laughs> she was just so good. Um, and I really liked her. And I really wanted to like this movie that because of her. But I can't because the Diane Keaton parts are just pure cringe. Uh, this is directed by Katie Aselton, who's a really, tr- really I talented. Love her. Oh, yeah, she's talented and funny, and but I, I don't know what it is about Diane Keaton. She just sucks the funny out of anything she does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I know I'm, everybody. I, I, I don't understand why I, I don't hate her as a person. I love her as a person. I just hate every movie that she's in. <laughs> You're gonna as be a like, person, she's wonderful. <laughs> that's going to be like, what came last, Annie Hall or Godfather 2? <laughs> Were those the last time she was good? <laughs> oh, yeah. that's funny. I uh, apologize, but no, it's just—it's just bad. It's just another bad movie with her. I mean, there's this the whole social media influencer thing too. My God, there's just uh, does anybody kn- does anybody know how to do a satire of this? Is it just such a satire of itself that no one can do a satire? Of a social media influencer? Probably. Uh, that's a good question. I don't mean, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's never been funny. Anytime I've seen it on screen, I immediately cringe because nobody is capable of being funny at it. Uh, you know, Addison Ray is an actual social media influencer, and she made a terrible movie about being a social media influencer. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a ridiculous thing. Yeah. But I mean, it's it- like something that shouldn't exist and does. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's and everybody's uh, right i was gonna say everybody's just jealous of the fact that people can make money being on social media but at the same time those people are making movies making fun of it and they're not doing it right 
I don't really know. I don't know. It's just such a ridiculous thing. I don't know how you make a movie that makes fun of it. It's just like it, it, Trump yeah, being president. A- you can only the jokes weren't funny anymore. <laughs> it's the dystopian future has become real. Right. <laughs> it's like you know you hit you hit twenty three and Logan Logan's run isn't funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> nobody under thirty is going to get that. <laughs> Sorry. Orphan 2. Orphan 2, uh, starring Isabel Furman, which is kind of surprising considering that this is a prequel to the original Orphan that she was in. Uh, this is set before that film, and she's only, you know, 12 years, 13 years older now than she was when she made that film. Um, <laughs> so this has required a great deal of trickery, and this is where I got to say that even though I'm not a big fan of director William Brent Bell, he did a heck of a job here trying to convince us that this was actually a, a very young, like 11, 12 year old girl. Uh, this is the story that happened before Orphan, where, of course, her character died at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, this is the first family that she murdered in, to- in total. Uh the story goes that she's uh, the most dangerous patient at this Estonian uh, psychiatric institute. She manages to escape from there. And her thing that she's done b- even before this movie. So they say it's first kill. But I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily the truth because they say she's done this before where she hunts down uh, a family and, that is missing a child. And she looks for one that looks kind of like her and has been missing for a few years that she can pretend to be. Uh, she's actually a 31 year old woman. Uh, in but she looks like a 11 year old so she looks for a child that kind of looks like her and it's kind of like that movie the imposter the 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 guy came to america pretending to be a teenage boy who had gone missing it's same idea here except that she murders people uh (laughs) but uh so she gets adopted by this family uh headed up by uh uh, julia styles in a terrific performance and this movie comes up with a very clever twist on how to play this particular idea it doesn't necessarily make uh the orphan character uh astrid or ethel ethel i can't remember what the name is um but the bottom line is it doesn't make her the hero but at the same time you're like these people are so rich and so awful that you're kind of like you know i'm kind of rooting for her And so it's playing on this very tight balancing act of being, you know, very, being not necessarily celebrating murder, but at the same time, you don't feel so bad if things are going to go the way that she kind of wants them to go. Uh, and so it does, it does a really great job of that. It's really trashy. And in terms of tech, you know, technical filmmaking, it's not very good. I mean, it's, it doesn't look, it doesn't look very good, <laughs> but the, the, Ability to make it look as if Isabel Furman is really a child is pretty impressive. And most of the way that they build this plot, they came up with a really good idea. And I like that they came up with a really good idea. And so I'm I'm kind of down with the idea of this. And I kind of like the movie in a way. It's trashy. It's not great. But it's as as for a movie directed by William Brent Bell, which he's not made very many good movies. This is pretty impressive. <laughs> I mean... One question I have is why not just cast an 11-year-old? Why go through all the war? I mean, it's impressive that they did it, but 
it's got to be work, a lot of work to get that done and probably costs a lot oh. of money. I mean, Isabel Furman is, uh, she went through a lot to do this, to, a lot. She had to walk on her knees in a lot of scenes. Oh, and, uh, yeah, and, and can do so so convincingly that it doesn't look like she's walking on her knees. <laughs> so it's like she's, or she was duck walking to, in, in some scenes, like, and they had to shoot around that to make it look, you know, right. Because uh, I think she's 24, 25 now, and uh, the character is supposed to be 11. So it's pretty impressive. Her face, they didn't quite do much with. <laughs> She's got a relatively young face to begin with, right. uh, but it, it still, it looks like the face of an older woman. Um, and yeah, there are aspects of it, like, again, that embrace sort of a very low budget kind of Z movie aesthetic, where it's kind of like, you just have to accept that some things, <laughs> you just kind of have to embrace a few ideas here, like her like the fact that she looks, she has a 25 year old's face or <laughs> kind of thing. But I, I didn't mind that so much because the movie doesn't ask you to take it seriously. It doesn't treat itself with a great deal of, uh, of seriousness. I think bodies, bodies, bodies kind of suffers from trying to be uh, serious in a way. It wants you to take it a little bit seriously and ground it in a very serious way. This is a B movie. This is one that doesn't hide it. The fact that it's a genre film. It's not pretending towards anything bigger than what it is. And uh, the lack of pretension in Orphan ki- orphan First Kill is kind of impressive uh, for me in, in a way that Bodies, Bodies, Bodies wasn't. Fair enough. All right. Let's move on to Emily the Criminal. Emily the Criminal stars uh, the brilliant Aubrey Plaza as the titular Emily, who works as a uh, caterer, but uh, really could desperately use more money to do what she wants to do. And so uh, when a coworker offers her this card that says, uh, call this number if you'd like to make $200, she takes it and she calls the number and she gets invited to this meeting and she's brought into this warehouse and she's told you can make 200 bucks, but it's kind of against the law. Now, if you want to, if you want to leave, you can leave. But if you want to stay, you're gonna get two hundred bucks to do this. So she stays, and she makes two hundred bucks doing uh, this very particular kind of scam. This gives her kind of a taste, and it brings her into this criminal world. And she needs more money going forward to pay the rent, and you know, thinking about going to do other things that she'd like to do, and watching her friends be very successful. She kind of gets a little bit jealous, so she wants to make more money. And she figures out a way to get in on this scam and maybe make it even bigger for herself. Uh, along the way, of course, she's dealing with very criminal types who are uh, obviously you know, kind of her ally, but also kind of like, hey, slow down. <laughs> you work for us, not for yourself. Uh, she's also kind of new to this, so she finds herself in various different dangerous situations with people she has to deal with in order to make money. Um, this is a really smart film. It's, it's a drama for the most part. There's no real comedy in it. Uh, it's a very, kind of a straightforward drama, but it has really smart pacing, uh, really strong, exciting moments. And Aubrey Plaza is just amazing. I'll, I'll follow her anywhere. Uh, just She's so great, and she's so great in this. And really, this is one of the best single performances I've seen this year by an actress. She's just that good. She's wow. so compelling and so interesting that she makes all of this work. And on top of which, the scam is really interesting to watch unfold and how they do it. And the technical side of how they pull off what they pull off. I don't want to give anything away about it because it's uh, it's that interesting and it's that compelling. Uh, I I really like this a lot. Well, let's stick with that theme because we want to have more Aubrey Plaza. Let's talk about Spin Me Round. 
<laughs> Spin me around. Yes, this is a different kind of Aubrey Plaza movie. Um, Spin me around is a comedy about uh, a chain restaurant, an Italian chain restaurant uh, owned and operated by a character played by. Oh, I forgot his name already. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's such an interesting name. Uh, Alessandro Nivola. There it is. Uh, he run, He's the chain guy. He, he lives in Italy. He runs everything. He's a billionaire. Uh, the character played by our lead character is played by Alison Brie. She's a manager at one of these restaurants. And she gets invited to go to Italy to train as a manager for this you know, company and to get management training and spend a week in Italy. And it sounds all romantic and exciting, but... Well, Obviously, once she gets there, things will be a little bit different. She gets there and she finds that uh, they're take, they've taken her uh, passport away and she she's not allowed to leave the hotel. They're not staying in the, the villa that was promised to them. They're just staying in like a chain hotel. Uh, the training, it consists of really boring lessons. And then at one point, just watching Life is Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, but then she gets an opportunity to spend time with Alessandro Davola. He takes her outside specifically to spend the day with her and get to know her. And right off the bat, I think this is where kind of the movie kind of goes wrong because the movie doesn't quite know what it wants to do with the Alessandro Davola character. Is he, a, I know he's not sincere and there's no attempt for him to make himself seem sincere, but at the same time, I don't know what the movie intended with the character overall because they give him these moments where he comes off as sincere, where he comes off as vulnerable. And even at the end, like he's there and you're like, why is this guy getting this moment? He doesn't deserve this moment. He doesn't deserve a grace note. Uh, he's Because again, right off the bat, with him being alone with one of the managers of one of his, automatically, he's the CEO. She has no power in this situation. You've got a power dynamic here that is automatically just off the charts wrong. Uh, and nobody comments on it. Nobody says anything about it. Um, that does become a thing later on where you find out that maybe this whole trip has been designed to bring women to this guy and that there may be something even shadier going on. But again, they don't know what they want to do with the Alessandro Nivola character. Is he a villain? Is he just a creep? What is he? And that is a major failure of this movie. But the biggest failure is what they do with Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza plays his assistant, and uh, she's the one who brings him the women to spend the time with. And she takes a liking to Alison Bree's character and they begin to develop a friendship and something even more than that, maybe. And it's kind of this very exciting dynamic. And for about a third of the movie, this middle point in the movie, we're watching them together and the movie is exciting. It's sexy. It's romantic. It's funny. They're great together. Their chemistry is off the charts. And then something happens and her character is just gone from the movie. Just gone just does not come back and it's like why are you not paying this off how do you not pay off that chemistry in some way just having them spend a moment together just to kind of you know settle things however you want to settle them it blows my mind it is such a wasted opportunity and it just really sunk the movie for me on top of just the whole what to do with the Alessandro Nivola character the idea that you're going to give her moments at the end of this movie, the Alison Brie character gets moments at the end of this movie with Tim Heidecker's character, with the character, um, with another character that she's kind of spent a little bit of time with. Uh, she gets moments with them. She gets moments with Molly Shannon. And it's like, 
but you're not going to bring back the one character she actually really connected with in this movie? Are you kidding me? Like, that is just ridiculous. It is such a blow to this already kind of weak movie that really this becomes a very bad movie in the end. I think you're being too nice to it. I <laughs> I think this movie knows exactly what it wants to be, and it just made a bunch of bad choices. <laughs> mm. uh, and, you know... As good as Allison Brie and Aubrey Plaza are in this movie, they also these they have a quirky sense of humor where I could see them reading this. And I'm projecting; I don't know them. I could see them reading the script and getting to that twist ending and think, thinking that's funny on paper, and then signing on to the movie for that kind of just because it's so weird and out there. Mm. Uh, but it, it's just. It's just a movie that just kind of wanders in weird directions and it doesn't need to. If you had focused on, even if the movie was just about Allison Brie and Aubrey Pleasant, that was it. I don't even know if anything needs to happen. Just watching them together was kind of like good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they explained what happens in a throwaway piece of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and it all, it, it makes enough sense, but. It, it, it's just you're still left like I'd rather see that than what I'm watching. Mm-hmm. So I I just think it was a it was people making a movie who thought they were being cute and funny and when it all of a sudden when you find out what's going on it's just like I don't know it, it was just more like lazy writing like watch what I'm gonna do here mm-hmm. and that kind of threw me out of the movie I was already kind of out of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just I wasn't a fan of what, what the direction they were going I think they knew full well what they were doing the whole time I just don't like what they did at least that's how I the, feel the movie turns into a horror movie for like 10 solid minutes and it's like where the fuck did this come from like why are we doing this right now and it's it's not it's not scary. <laughs> it's not funny. Well, they're using this dude gonna... from The Office, too, who's like, <laughs> he comes out of nowhere. Like, he's in the background the whole movie. Now he's like yeah. leading this whole movie. He's like one of the most prominent characters. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Bizarre choices all around. Just uh, why make him a significant character at that point? Is the, I, it, my theory is, is that at some point they just lost Aubrey Plaza. Like, she couldn't stay. She had to go make a better right. movie like Emily the Criminal. And <laughs> they just lost her and had to go on without her. That's the only way I can explain it. Why you give that character such significance in, in that movie and then and then drop her completely. I mean, all I could do in the last five minutes of this movie was search every frame going, okay, well, what's she going to show up? I mean, because you can't, you can't give her that much weight. And, and Or maybe she just takes that much weight because she's that good. I think it's more but, that... I'm being honest. I was searching every frame going, okay, when's she going to walk in? And then and then you've got a scene near the end where Allison Brie is standing in a kitchen and they had a big moment outside of a kitchen and I thought she's going to knock on the back door. That's going to be cute. That's great. That's a great way to, set, to to finish this off. And then nothing fucking happens. And I was just, I was angry. I was angry at this movie. I think the character was I think the performance was better than the character personally and she made me made us want more. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just bad writing. It, it really is. I, I don't even know because where they go, it's just. I, I guess it makes sense, but it's just kind of. 
it's, I mean, it's even less funny than the ending of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Like it's, and this is both of them are trying to go for this funny little twist. Like, look what we're doing, and it's, it's, it's a bizarre movie, but not in the way that it wants to be. It wants to be bizarre, like this movie that's way out there, and more of it's in a bizarre way, like bizarre choices. Like, boy, it's bizarre you decided to go there with the movie versus. Where did you think of that? You know, that's kind of the difference. There's just no, there's nothing really groundbreaking about it. There's nothing that just kind of opens your eyes and you're just kind of like, wow, I never thought of something like that. Instead, it was just kind of like, oh, that's lame. Yeah. A 13 year old could have come up with that. <laughs> what does this title even mean? Spin me around. What does that even mean? What does that mean to this movie? Did somebody just in the marketing department going, yeah, like, absolutely. This has to come from the marketing department. Oh, for sure. I wonder if it's the original name of the movie. Uh, I can't imagine it is because, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't relate to anything in the movie. So All bizarre. Right. What an <sighs> utterly bizarre movie. All right. We have two more movies left and two classics to go with them. So let's start with Fall. Fall. This is a movie starring uh, two young women who are uh, playing uh, climbers and one of them has a very severe trauma happen on a climb very early on where her husband dies uh, while they're climbing a rock face uh, she takes a full it takes about a full year for her to kind of recover from this where she becomes like a very she gets deeply out deeply into an out al- al- drinking alcohol and uh, and just kind of throwing her life away that her friend who was with her that day when her husband died comes back into her life. And this friend has gone on to become a successful YouTuber. And her thing is doing these exciting stunts where she climbs crazy things and uh, risks, risks her life. And her latest thing is she wants to climb the tallest TV tower in America. It's the it's a this out of uh, service TV tower somewhere in a Texas desert. Uh, and it's about 3000 feet in the air. Uh, she wants to go there and climb it, and she needs somebody to climb it with her, so she wants her friend to go with her. Uh, and this, she finally does agree, and they both go down there, and they climb this thing, and they end up getting all the way to the top, and then the thing breaks, and they're trapped up there, and they have to figure out a way to get down. Um, it's it's a very simple premise. It's a very straightforward premise. The They don't spend a lot of time on, on the trauma stuff. They just use that to... Uh, create the stuff that they're going to use to build tension while they're up there. And there's a couple of really smart little tiny things, visual things and dialogue things that they do to give them something to talk about while they're up there. Uh, but overall, what, what it's about is just this amazing aerial photography that creates this idea that they are 3000 feet in the air and have no way of getting down. Um, and then they create incidents where it's like, if you fall asleep on the tower of this part of the tower that they're on, you could roll right off just very easily roll right off the side. It's a very small thing that they're standing on. <laughs> like you have enough room. Like if you sit down and lean back, you're leaning back against the tower itself. And then your legs are off the side, like uh, in front of you. Like <laughs> that's the leg. That's the length of thing that they're standing on. Uh, it's so exciting. This movie, I really had a great time. I was, I was terrified the whole time. Because the photography is just that good. They used drones and then they used an actual tower, which was pretty high up. And they kind of angled it so that it looked off of a mountain. So it looked like they could do actual visuals where they could seriously be looking down 3,000 feet. 
it's really great that you watch. I, I was watching that on my TV and I was freaked out. <laughs> so you can only imagine on the big screen what that experience must be like for people. Uh, then again, I'm one of the only critics who liked this for some reason. I don't know why anybody else didn't fall for this. I did. <laughs> I thought it was great. I even didn't mind, you know, some of the things that they did up there that kind of mess with your perception of time and, and so on. But I really loved it. There's even a scene in this movie where they made professional wrestling poignant. <laughs> really? They did. They really did. That's awesome. I was, and there's a moment like where Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who plays the dad of one of the girls, shows up, and you see uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin bobblehead, and you kind of get. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. That's a great piece of direction. I like this movie a lot. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was. Uh, it made me f- afraid of heights. That's what it was trying to do, and it worked. You told me to go see it, and I had. I had it planned where I was going to go see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies one night and then Fall the next, and I should have swapped it because uh, obviously I never got to go see Fall. Uh, it sounds right up my alley. I love that simplicity when it comes to horror or suspense. Uh, I just think it's so well... It's you. People are always trying to reinvent the wheel when in reality, there's a lot of things that are just very simple and terrifying <laughs> that... <laughs> Uh, if done right, you know, certain movies have done it great. Buried with Ryan Reynolds, I thought did a really good job. Obviously, we're going to talk about our classic open water. Uh, you know, I think I told you the last episode, I thought gravity was just going to be center bullock floating in space. <laughs> that would have scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have done something like that with that movie. And uh, no matter what, it's just, it's really cool. And I, I definitely am looking forward to seeing it when I get a chance. But our classic for what was going to be last week's episode is Open Water. Yes, Open Water, directed by Chris Kentis and starring uh, uh, Blanchard Ryan. And I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. But uh, a couple goes on a scuba diving trip. They're on vacation. Uh, They're going out to go scuba diving. And just a series of minor little things happen that, that create a situation where while they're in the water, they spend a little bit too much time underneath and the, there was a miscount on how many people were, were in their party, and they get left behind. And they're left behind in the middle of the ocean with nothing around for miles. Uh, you got you know jellyfish, barracuda, sharks, and these two people. And then you've got a camera, and now you have a movie. Uh, that is a pretty... Uh, you know, you, I was talking about it with Fall, where you've got you, know, you painted yourself into such a corner. Now, how do you get out of it? Coming up with you know the various different scenarios that you could use to create drama in a situation like this, and the key is the uh, brevity, but also you know tone and and uh, uh, pace. Uh, coming up with just incidents to use, and this movie comes up with a lot of clever incidents. You know these these two characters blaming each other. Uh, there's minor little arguments here and there. Just these uh, the fear of sharks. You know what what you'll do if one of them dies first. Like these questions that that you're gonna have to ask eventually come up, and uh, they have got a lot of weight to them. Uh, these two actors are really terrific, and they put their bodies on the line to do this. They spent a, they spent a total of 250 hours in the water to make this movie, which is insane. Uh, and but that that the dedication pay, pays off because this movie is 
wildly exciting and terrifying and uh you 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 hold your breath for most of it that's the key is like when you when you forget that you're holding your breath while you're watching a movie that's a great moment (laughs) i don't get why this movie isn't referenced more i mean as far as i mean jaws is jaws but this is right up there with it in terms of scary. I mean, if not scarier than Jaws. Jaws makes you scared of sharks. This makes you scared of the water more than any movie does. I will never go deep sea fishing. I have no interest in ever going on a cruise. Like, it's very real. It, it's, I, more than anything else in this world, what scares me more than anything is being in the water and not being able to see any land anywhere near me. Whether I'm on a boat or nothing else, that, the idea of that is just absolutely terrifying that and floating through space. Uh, I have no interest in ever going to outer space. I don't care. It's, you know, I don't care if I have cancer and I'm going to die and they're just going to float me and let me go until I, I don't want to, I just don't want to do it. Uh, I, and it's all because of this movie, this movie scares the crap out of me. And I just, I don't remember it being all that loved when it came out. I don't remember being hated either, yeah, but weird. it definitely hasn't been talked about that much. Uh, so I was excited when you brought it up as a classic idea, but uh, I just, it baffles me that no one under that no one agrees with us that it's really <laughs> that good. I mean, it really is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen and just smart. Everything about it is believable you know, like similar to fall, they kind of set you up with kind of getting to know the characters before they go out in the water so that they can get to the drama later on. Uh, I don't know. It, it just, <laughs> I absolutely love this movie. Love watching this movie. Uh, and I don't get why no one else does. <laughs> yeah. It, it blows my mind. Sometimes I think like the reaction to fall is similar to me. Like, why don't people like this movie? <laughs> like, uh, it's, uh, I love the low budget aesthetic of this. Like the, the, they, you can make this mo- movie for like 10 bucks, like, <laughs> but they, they create more scares than like 99% of Hollywood movies. Like, you know, uh, it's just, it's so smart and it's so well paced and it does play it plays on primal fears and i think the thing that people try to avoid when they go to the movies is things that they're actually afraid of i think that's the key uh i think you don't i think you could dismiss you know if you you can dismiss a movie like say the the unholy with jeffrey dean with jeff jeffrey dean morgan i was talking about before uh where you know that's a supernatural horror film that you know there are ghosts and demons and whatnot that's easy to dismiss you can you know lose yourself in that that's escapism that's not something that's real this is fucking real <laughs> like this is a real fear that you would have to like think about and live within and this movie forces you to live within the the space of these two people and listening to them breathe listening to them talk about uh how tired they are and you know the what's going to happen when i fall asleep or what's going to happen you know when we run out of food or we don't have any food when we run out we're just so hungry that we can't stay alive anymore like starving to death in the middle of the ocean is the very realistic thing that's going to happen to these people like all of that you're just kind of like them you're forced to just scan the horizon looking for something anything that could save these people any form of hope and it's Uh, you feel like you're out there with them. It's it's funny that you're, the way you mentioned it, I was was listening to a podcast on the way to work the other day, 
and they were talking about horror movies <laughs> and the host said the reason demonic possession movies are so good because they could really happen <laughs> and it was like I mean I guess if you believe that sort of thing but mm-hmm. this everybody can I mean it will never happen to you or I because we'll probably never be in the ocean like that because we know better because we watched this movie but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know people go on cruises all the time even after yeah. COVID so I don't I, Is it, I, I was having a thought though you know how I hate Everest that movie Everest because those people did that to themselves and I have no sympathy for them I have sympathy for these people because this this two, this couple especially they didn't ask for this they went to do something that millions of people do on a daily basis and just one or two little things get mistaken and they end up in this situation where they're, they're in a life or death struggle <laughs> like they didn't ask for this they didn't do anything that was super dangerous or unusual and this happened to them. Um, Fall, you know, they put themselves in that situation. But at the same time, I, I think that they had enough reason to believe they could do it that uh, that it didn't. I didn't feel as much, you know, anti sympathy for them in that well, situation. If the movie's good enough to make you forget about that, yeah, you know, that's another that point too. Role Whereas too. Everest wasn't good enough to make me forget about no. any of that. <laughs> I, I mean. I, I'll put, I mean, to me, Open Water and Blair Witch are kind of, you know, I'm assuming Fall, they're kind of in the same ballpark. Simple premise, low budget, and they just mm-hmm. use the environment to scare you in. Oh, uh, yeah. That's one of the great things about Fall is the sound design. I talked to the director Jesus. about it. I talked to the director about the sound design and the just the, the way he uses the sound of the wind, the way he uses the sound of buzzards overhead, uh, the way he uses the sound of yeah, he'll like have a visual of a of a very rusty nut that is be, that it moves every time they climb another piece another rung of the ladder, and it makes this uh, uh, what you know metal on metal sound, and it's just the sound design is phenomenal. <laughs> I'm dying to see it just because I want to know what happens. Like I kind of want you to tell me, but at the same time I want to find <laughs> out because it could go anyway. You know, do they There's get away? Do they die? It yeah, it's and it's. You know, I guess similar to professional wrestling, there's those matches that are, you know, who the winner is going to be no matter what. And then there's one mm-hmm. where any wrestler, any one of the guys could win. Like, and those are the matches that are fun to watch. A movie is the same way. This could, you could tell certain movies when nobody's going to die or who's going to die. Like the Jurassic World movie, we all knew yeah. those nine characters, whatever the hell it was, weren't going <laughs> to die. Main character powers. Yeah. <laughs> And there was nothing but main characters in that movie, so it was just so not exciting. <laughs> yeah. Here, the whole gamut of things could happen, and you're not going to be disappointed either way. If they mm-hmm. make it, you're relieved they made it because you want them to make it because you just want to get out of the situation for them because you <laughs> feel like you're in it. If they yeah. die, it just adds to the horror. So no matter mm-hmm. what happens, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's why people don't like it. I don't know. But that's why I mm-hmm. do like open water, and I... I'm really looking forward to seeing fall as soon as I can. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a moment in open water where one of them—I'm not sure if it was a—it was a like a, a where they were having like a fever dream or something, or or one of they, one of them wakes up and they can't see the other one, and it is terrifying. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the same thing happens in fall, and it's fucking great. <laughs> God, I can't wait. I'm a little afraid to see Fall in the theater, so I might wait for TV, too. 
<laughs> it's still scary on TV. I can I promise know, you. But I, it, it's, uh, I don't know. Do you have a fear? Do you already have a fear of heights or? Cause I, I didn't. Before I, I, saw this movie. <laughs> I have a respect for heights. When I did my internship, I'm an accounting person. I was doing an auditing internship and, I literally had to count beans. <laughs> so, so I would have to climb silos and then like look into them. And I mean, you know, you're one arm on the ladder, one leg on the ladder, leaning over, looking down the hole and dropping a tape measure into try and then knocking on the side of the silo to see if it's, you know, if it's hollow there or not mm-hmm. and trying to measure how much corn's in there. And that was, it was exciting and scary at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if you've seen those silos, those ladders are very, very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also seen a movie called Silo where somebody gets trapped inside of a silo and almost die and dies. Yeah, we, didn't have to, <laughs> we were told not to jump in them because yeah. it'll suck you in. That said, like we, we did have to army crawl across a grain elevator full of corn and then measure the ceiling to the top of the corn. <laughs> that sucked. My allergies did not like that. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? I just want a calculator, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm going on these interviews, and you know, they're telling me they're oh, I had to do the audit for Gibson guitars, and I had to do the audit for Playboy magazine, and I <laughs> just like all these. I had to do the audit for a corn elevator. <laughs> anyway, uh, stupid Midwest. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Beast. Beast stars Idris Elba as a uh, New York doctor who decides to take his two daughters to South Africa to visit the village where their mom uh, was born and grew up. Their mom having passed away not all that long ago. Uh, the father has not dealt well with that. He's kind of become and um, he's gotten into drinking and depression and not really dealing well with his daughters. And he's hoping that this trip will bond them again in a way. Uh, and uh, it, it does <laughs> it ends up doing that. Uh, they they're out there with uh, his uh, good friend played by Charlotte Copley for once, not ruining a movie that he's in. Uh, <laughs> I really hate that guy too. It's <laughs> an actor. I mean, not as a person. Right. He's just been in a lot of really terrible films. Um, well, he's made a lot of okay movies. Terrible too. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like the Maleficent movies. Um, no, the last Maleficent was really bad, even without him. But the first one could have been better without him. Is the point? Uh, anyway, <laughs> not, about, not the point. Um, the they uh, go out on a safari to see, you know, Africa and whatnot, and they find out that this village that this guy Norm Charlton Copley character uh, goes to a lot has been completely destroyed by uh, a lion. Uh, lions don't tend to do this, but it, they this lion did this because poachers had killed his entire pride so he's kind of out on his own and basically taking revenge on all of humanity uh he ends up trapping them uh in in their car for the for about two days and they've got to survive on just some water and some snacks that they brought and there's this lion just kind of roaming around waiting for them to make a move uh the lion breaks the windows climbing on the thing and you know they're hiding and trying to find a way to slow this thing down if they can and maybe figure out a way to get away. They're in the middle of nowhere, so they've got no cell phone and no, you know, they, they can't get, get anybody in the radio, of course, because that's a cliche of movies like this. Uh, <laughs> and in the end, Idris Elba punches a lion. 
Um, <laughs> now, uh, just a tip for anybody who's wondering: if you punch a lion, you will die. That is not uh, is not a, <laughs> that is not a defense for you or anybody. It's a defense for this guy in this movie, but only because the lion is. Uh, it worked one time for a real guy who, but that lion was like very, very old and very, very like desperately near death. <laughs> and he punched him, was able to get away from him. And this lion similarly is not in the best of shape. So maybe either someone might be able to punch him and get away. But generally speaking, don't punch lions. I mean, you if they're not. attacking you, you don't have a choice. <laughs> if you're lucky. You can try it, yeah, but I, you're not bringing back your arm. Most likely not. <laughs> I still recommend trying it if you're if your life's in danger, just in case. If you're that close to a lion, your life uh, isn't in danger. It's over. Most likely, <laughs> if yeah. they want to kill you, they're going to kill you. But do everything in your power to try to survive. I guess. But why are you that close to a lion? That's Don't get the, that close to a lion. Yeah, just Don't let's do start it. there. Now, shark, punch a shark in the nose, I'll go away. From what I understand from watching Shark Week. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. I love the the way that Shark Week comes up in open water. It's so such a good reference. But uh, <laughs> now Beast is you know, it's not bad. It's not as bad as I'm making it out to be. It's it's kind of fun in that sort of Liam Neeson movie sort of way, you know, where Liam Neeson punched the wolf. Cyrus Alba punches the lion. Uh, yeah. right. <laughs> I think Liam Neeson had the good sense to die in his movie, though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I would like to see them. Like when I saw the trailer. I knew what they were doing. If they would have taken more of a Cujo approach, that would have been, you know, now a very simple premise. You're surrounded by a lion and, you know, probably going to bust through the car quicker than a dog would. But still, there's things you could do with that to keep it simplify, keep them in one spot. Uh, this just I love Cujo, it. actually. Yeah. Cujo's a good shout because uh, Cujo's actually a really good movie. You know, I've got, the further I get away from Cujo, the more I go, man, Cujo's really good. <laughs> I mean, really, when you come down to it, when I if I have to like list the actual true scariest movies of all time, I mean, Cujo's up there, probably in my top five. Not, I mean, I like movies better than Cujo, but it's full mm. on terrifying. Uh, so, <laughs> and not many movies are truly that terrifying, you know. I, I watch Absolutely. like Hereditary, and I'm not scared; I'm just in awe, you know. <laughs> uh, so that's why I wouldn't put a movie like that up there that high on it. But like Cujo, Open Water, Blair Witch Project, these are movies that are like truly terrifying. Mm-hmm. especially in one of the experiences I had. So I, I, if this were to go for that, I'd be more into it, but it seems like I want a little more action movie with it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like I said, it, it, it's not bad. It's actually, it's, it's okay for what it is. It's a, it's kind of exciting enough. It's you know, got character enough. I just Elba enough. Um, yeah. Everything about it is just, just good enough to say, you know what? Not a waste of your time. <laughs> I did watch our class. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about the classic that we put along with this and one of the great comedies of all time, Roar. <laughs> this movie is hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> hey, I got a great idea. Let's live with lions. <laughs> I mean, this is like the real-life Tiger King or whatever the fuck that show was as a movie. 
I've, I've spent so much time like just researching the the making of the movie and the amount of injuries that I barely even watched the stupid movie. I That's couldn't even tell thing. you the plot. I'm so much more interested in the ma- the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff because it's I mean, Bill is the most dangerous movie ever filmed. Well, because you're fucking doing it with lions. <laughs> Aside from the movie where Michael Curtiz killed like five extras, <laughs> this is the most dangerous movie ever. True. <laughs> <laughs> he killed like five extras, like <laughs> and endangered thousands of other ones. Yeah. That was Noah's Ark nineteen twenty eight. If you want the, the footage is actually in the movie. You can see people dying, so oh. there you go. have fun. <laughs> the, first, um, the first episode of Faces of Death is called Noah's Ark. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> well, they shouldn't have been sinners. I mean, yeah, good point. <laughs> valid, valid point. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, Roar, uh, the director. So the director of this movie uh, is his wife is Tippi Hedren. She's in the movie along with her daughter, Melanie Griffith, and two of her adopted sons are also in the movie. They actually raised these lions for five years specifically to make this movie, and they still got mauled. <laughs> All of them still got mauled. Uh, Tippi Hedren was actually inter- in- injured by two animals on this movie. So the, the elephant picked her up and tossed her and broke her ankle, and which then got infected and gave her gangrene. Uh, <laughs> then she came back, and the lion bit the top of her head and scratched her skull. She has a scratch on her skull from the teeth of a lion from this movie. Um, that's lucky compared to what happened to the cinematographer on this film, who happens to be Jan DeBont, the director of Speed, was scalped by a tiger on this movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. He had to have 227 stitches in his head from getting scalped. And he came back the next day and went back to work because <laughs> he's a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just. It, it's, but then his the assistant director nearly had his throat ripped out. Uh, the tiger caught him by the throat and thankfully didn't squeeze because if he squeezed, it was over. But uh, just caught him by the throat, was kind of pulling him a little bit, and he had to go in and have emergency surgery. And after that, twenty other crew members walked off. They don't work on the movie anymore. Melanie Griffith nearly lost an eye. Um, <laughs> The the uh, director nearly lost his arm. Uh, his hand got bit completely through, like right through the palm, all the way through, leading to a blood infection that led to gangrene that nearly cost him his arm. <laughs> and that was just one of the 17 times that he got bit. <laughs> and, and then you watch the movie and you say, all for what? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's not <laughs> like you're making The Godfather. No. What even is this movie? Like, so <laughs> just watching these tigers just attack these people and they're trying to deliver dialogue. <laughs> it's this is a bizarre movie, <laughs> but it's like a like Melly Griffin's like trying to jump into the pool and the tigers like got her by the leg and about to rip her leg off. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Yeah, it is. I, I just it's I get, it's more famous for the behind the scenes stories than the movie itself. So the movie itself, I can't even tell you what it's about. Like you said, it, it's 
Probably family because lives of, with lions. Right. I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's the whole thing. And I know it's. I mean, at the time, nobody knew who Melanie Griffith was. But looking back at it, you have, I mean, Tippy Hedren and Melanie. You have like name people in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just I it, the movie baffles me that it exists. Uh, you know, it's. I don't know why would I? I just why people want to play with lions they don't get or tigers or whatever else. It's it's whole, it's a dilettante thing. It's like people with money just want to show that they can do anything, that their money can buy anything, their money can buy you know my own pet lions, and lions will listen to me because I'm rich and powerful and master of the universe. And then it's they, just pure dumb arrogance. And then they, the little cub they had grows up, gets a little too big, and they just let it loose, <laughs> running around <laughs> some town in a cornfield or whatever. Uh, they do the little cub bears, too. I, I, uh, people are idiots. Oh, and, so and dumb. movies about people who are idiots. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. And the movie is free on YouTube for anybody who wants to see it, and they left in a lot of injuries, so... <laughs> well, they only could have so many takes. <laughs> I guess a wrap for the day. He's got to go to the emergency room. <laughs> All right. Who, who needs an ambulance? <laughs> we got three hours into work today, guys. <laughs> Hopefully we can get a full day tomorrow. <laughs> Remember, nobody call OSHA. Nobody call OSHA. Is OSHA even a thing? I mean, this movie could not exist today. <laughs> no, there's no possible way. Like, they, these are CGI tigers and beasts. So, I mean, <laughs> Idris Elba was never in the same place as that lion <laughs> and beast. I'm sorry. I do that sometimes where I say lion and tiger. I know they're different things. I just, it's, I know, every, I think everybody does it. Oh, where you talk about lions and tigers episode. interchangeably. But uh, interestingly enough, I wrote a piece about, uh, about lions and tigers in movies based off of Roar and Beast. And there's actually a movie that had an, uh, an accident that was just as interesting. And, and it was Jodie Foster. And I had no idea. Did you know she nearly died in 1972? No. Uh, she was in a movie in 1972 with a tiger, or with a lion, rather, excuse me, uh, where she's, I, it's, I can't remember the name of it, Napoleon and something. Anyway. Yeah, she's walking in front of a real tiger. They've got a real lion. They've got this real lion in the movie named Major. Two kids walking through the woods <laughs> are trying to get to Michael Douglas's house. Uh, and Jodie Foster's eight years old. She's walking in front of the tiger. And by her account of it was she's walking in front of the tiger and apparently she wasn't walking fast enough. So the tiger decided to move her along by grabbing her around the waist with its teeth and picking her up and carrying her. <laughs> So she tells the story. The tiger just comes up and just bites down on the side of her, on the side of her, like, and is picks her up and is shaking her around. And the entire crew goes running. And the the lion wrangler has this tiger or this lion by this fishing line. He's running the lion on fishing line because they don't want anybody to see that the lion is on a line. They want that fishing line won't show up as much on screen. So they've only got it by a fishing line. <laughs> He's trying to get her to let, get the lion to let go. And thankfully, the lion wasn't trying to kill her. The lion literally was just trying to get her to move faster. <laughs> so he got him to convince the lion to drop her. Uh, she she suffered uh, pretty serious injuries, but uh, she did go back to work six weeks later. And the movie still came out the same year. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't make it back the next day. 
<laughs> the next day, no. She's not yelling to Bond. <laughs> no. N- not many are. It just reminds me of the, the old Chris Rock joke when about Siegfried, uh, whatever there, I forgot their name. Sieg, what is Siegfried their name? And Siegfried and Roy. When the his joke was something like, the tiger didn't go crazy, the tiger went tiger. <laughs> the tiger was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I mean I I don't recommend watching Roar go to Wikipedia no. or watch yeah. YouTube on I'm more interested in the behind there are the scenes there better documentaries stuff. about about the making of the movie than there is this movie this movie is terrible alright we didn't look up 1992 so maybe we'll catch up to you next week with all of that but in the short term let me pull up some flick chart so we can uh, the them. early 90s have been something of a bust. Let's just say it. <laughs> well, it's such a weird, you know, I, I've mentioned multiple times, when we, like some movie will come out and I'll be like, well, Goodfellas already existed. So why does this, <laughs> you know, why do we still have Porky's right. level comedies still out here and <laughs> Friday the 13th level horror yeah. still going on? Because it's unacceptable at this point. Unforgiven exists. You know, there's been some great Sounds of the Lambs, some great movies now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's time to get our start acting appropriately, directors of the early 90s. Mm, absolutely. Black, Black Hawk Down, The French Connection. I actually prefer Black Hawk Down. I do too. I don't. Do you dislike The French Connection or. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm not sold on it. I don't dislike it. I just like Black Hawk Dawn better. She's all that or the Road Warrior. The Road Warrior, even 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 the Road Warrior is better than She's All That. Yeah. Ronin or Hostage. Hostage. Hostage is actually a pretty good movie. Okay. Don't carry the way. Thunderball or Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. Yes. Buy a lot. Burn after reading Dangerous Liaisons. I really want to watch it. I can't believe we missed that back in 88. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't watch it then. I uh, yeah. do want to take another look at that, but burn after reading. Right. Recency bias. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any fucking quarters. Magnolia or the Fisher King. Magnolia. <laughs> Magnolia is amazing. Oh, no, it's not. And I think the Fisher King's really good. <laughs> Magnolia wins the coin flip, though. Cars 2, American Hustle. American Hustle. Absolutely. Subway, Office Space. Not familiar with Subway. The Quick and the Dead, Office Space. Office Space. Shit, that was 1995. Oh, wow. <laughs> Quick and the Dead came out after Unforgiven. Planet Terror, Big Mama's House. Big Mama's House. <laughs> How much I hate Planet Terror. Oh, well, Planet Terror actually won the coin flip. <laughs> sex Lives of... No. Sex Lives of the Potato Man. That's not even something I'm interested in. What about Roman Holiday? You know that one? Oh, I love Roman Holiday. You know Roman what? Holiday is way better than Ballistic X versus Ever, which is one of the worst movies ever made. Perfect. Roman Holiday wins. 
Wally Grease. Wally. Agreed. Tenet the Terminator. Tenet. I never did watch it, so I'll let you have it. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation X2. X2. That's how much I hate National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I kind of like the second X-Men. But, but Sean, the shitter's full. Hey, hey, the shitter's full. Yeah, it's really fucking funny, man. <laughs> fucking walked out. I walked out of a screening I was hosting. I was hosting the screening. And after the shitter's full, I got up and walked out. Because, like, no. Just no. Was that your first time seeing it? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. The whole 10 yards of Simpson movie. Simpson movie. The whole 10 yards was really disappointing. Yeah. The Great Muppet Caper or Journey to Avebury? Never heard of Journey to Avebury. Enchanted, The Great Muppet Caper. Great Muppet Caper. I like Enchanted, though. Yeah, Broken Arrow, Hollow Man. Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow's kind of fun, bad. Hollow Man, just bad. Broken Arrow beats Kevin Bacon's dick. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) Even Invisible, he's got to show his dick. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) (laughs) Day of the Dead, 1985, Four Rooms. Day of the Dead. Four Rooms is really disappointing. Yeah, the king of comedy, King Kong. 2005, oh, King, King Kong. Kong. King Kong. I found King of Comedy pretty disappointing. I didn't mind it, but it was it was lower level, of course, Scorsese, or at least second or third tier down. Godfather 2, uh, Russell Crowe, uh, Robin Godfather Hood. 2. Yeah. <laughs> Dead Poet Society, Thor Ragnarok. Wow, that's tough. That's tough. I really love Dead Poet Society, but I got to pick Ragnarok. I had so much fun watching Ragnarok. I'm going to watch Thor. Even though when it came out, I said I didn't love it because I didn't think it fit. But it's Dead Poet Society, I just don't have to watch again. It's really good, but it's not fun to watch. Sky High or The Client. I hire the client? Yes. I'm starting to lose you a little bit. Sky hire the client? Can you hear me now or are you still losing me? I can hear you, yes. All right. Um I'm gonna go sky high. I absolutely love sky high. <laughs> <laughs> Way too much fun. Annie re- the return of the living dead. Return of the living dead. Please never make me watch Annie. <laughs> the Muppets 2011 or The Crying Game? That is tough. Man, I don't know. Like, they're so different. <laughs> they're so obviously very, very, very different. But like, I, I, I enjoy them both in different ways. Um, yeah, I would, I'm actually looking forward to watching The Crying Game again yeah. um, when it comes up. If it, com- when it, it obviously must come up sometime this year. Still, watch it um, came out this week, and we missed. 
<laughs> we're just we're just that lazy. We missed one of the best movies of the year. We it was our classic one, so at least there was. Yeah, that. that's true. Uh, I mean, this for me, this one's harder than Thor and Dead Poet Society, just because like that's just such a typical drama, standard, straightforward. The Crying Games, like a work of art. The Muppets is very watchable, so it's it's much. Like, I'm almost leaning towards a crying game, and I really love yeah. the Muppets. I'll, I'll go with you. Horton hears who? <laughs> <laughs> the Devil's Rejects. <laughs> Horton hears a who? God damn it. Horton <clears throat> wins the coin flip, but I voted for Devil's Rejects, <laughs> just so you all know that. Uh, I've published my uh, devil, original 2005 Devil's Rejects review, and yes, I hated it as much then as I do now. <laughs> hey, Roger Ebert loved it. That's all I care about. <laughs> Keepers, Creepers, Don't Think Twice. Don't Think Twice. Terrific movie. Loved it. What is that about? I don't feel like I've seen that. It's about one. a group. It's about a group of uh, improv actors uh, who are, you know, getting a little bit older and looking at new opportunities and one of them gets a shot to play at a kind of an SNL thing and kind of breaks up the group and yeah, they're dealing with kind of going up, going their separate ways or staying together as a group. It's funny. Mike Wrigley is in it <laughs> and wrote it directed it. Paul Blart, Mall Cop, The Core. You know what I liked is Paul Blart, Mall Cop. <laughs> it's not that bad actually. Well, I mean, it's Obviously, the bar is not that high for it. Yeah, but no. I, I definitely think they step over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely. Certainly better than the core. Good God, what a piece of shit. 10 Cloverfield Lane, Changing Lanes. Those are two really good movies. Um, Changing Lanes doesn't get the kind of credit that no. I think it deserves. It's got a complicated story. Absolutely. It's got, it's got some challenging questions for you. That uh, I think that's probably why a lot of people don't like it is the movie really pushes buttons that you don't want pushed. I absolutely love that movie. I think I'm going to go Changing Lanes. Where are you leaning? I was kind of thinking Cloverfield, but I, if you're going Changing Lanes, like it kind of gives me confidence to go there as well. All right. I mean, I like Cloverfield, but I, I'm with you with uh, just the complication that this is <laughs> Changing Lanes. And Affleck and Sam Jackson are just so great in it. Mm-hmm. Run, Fat Boy, Run, Animal House. Animal House. Even though I don't think Animal House is that great. It's definitely overrated. Uh, Black Beauty, 16 Candles. 16 Candles. Yeah. Thir- My apology to horse girls. <laughs> There's a lot of horse girls in the world. I already know this. This is a whole subculture I've only recently become aware of. The women who love horses. Not love horses in that way. I mean, just they really like horses a lot. Not in the... uh, (laughs) Not in the Dick Long way. (laughs) Not in the Dick Long way. (laughs) Director of everything. Much more innocent way. (laughs) Yes. Uh, 13 Unforgiven. It's unforgiven, but 13 is an incredible movie. Absolutely. Again, another one of those movies that really force you into some very uncomfortable places. Yeah, they just happen to go up against one of the best movies of all time. Kung Fu Panda 2, The Shining. The Shining. The Simpsons movie, Kill Bill Volume 1. Kill Bill. 
Absolutely. Superman Returns, Goodfellas. <laughs> Goodfellas. By a lot. Hardcore Police Academy. Which one is hardcore? I don't remember that don't one remember from 20. Hard. I feel like I should know that, but I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I feel it like is. it too, but no, nah, it just something about doesn't even ring a bell. Badlands. I probably have a review of it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I remember, I feel like we talked about it on the show. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah. Badlands. Made real impression. Police, yeah. Badlands <laughs> Police Academy. Gee, where do you go on this one? It's so tough. It's Badlands. Terrence <laughs> Malick movie I actually like. Cadillac Records, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Great movie. The Taking of Pelham 123 or Dark Waters? See, I liked Pelham. I know a lot of people think that it's a lot of just John Travolta overacting, but he and Denzel, I thought they were actually pretty great together, but Dark Waters. Yeah, I've only seen that one. (laughs) Spider-Man 2, The Age of Adeline. Spider-Man 2. Yeah, the Dallas Buyers Club Before Sunset. Before Sunset. Still need to watch those movies. Drive Me Crazy, Vincent. I don't know. Never heard of Vincent. Looks creepy. Drive Me Crazy, The French Connection. I guess I'll pick French <laughs> Connection. <laughs> Young Guns, Roxanne. Roxanne. They live birth. They live. Absolutely. Identity the, the Birth is like what Nicole Kidman giving birth to her own husband or something. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> not fun to watch. I mean, I, I get why she, she took has, that role. She has to write, raise him as her son and <laughs> it's her husband. Yeah. I mean, as an actress, I get why you would go for something out of the box like that, but that's not fun to watch as an audience. It's too far out of the box. Yeah. Identity Thief, The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> Godfather Part 2. Junior Liar Liar. Liar Liar. Romy Michelle, Boys in the Hood. They're completely different movies, obviously. Just incredibly different, but damn it the thing is, um, this is hard because I almost like them at the same level <laughs> for what they are boys in the hood I guess recency bias I would go there yeah Congo Clerks 2 Clerks 2 I love that movie I've seen Clerks 3 I know <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> very happy for you and I'm very excited to see it <laughs> cock Tale in the Barbershop. I've not seen a movie from 1908. You never know. Cocktail Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. The Polar Express Seabiscuit. Well, Seabiscuit is a real piece of shit. But the Polar Express is also kind of shitty. So I'm not sure where to go. I guess, I guess Polar Express. Yeah. Only because I really don't like Seabiscuit. I agree. <laughs> Spice World, The Road Warrior. Oh, boy. Road Warrior. If you had gone Spice World, the podcast would have ended. 
<laughs> Adventures in babysitting, stolen kisses. Like permanently, or <laughs> no? Just for the, just, that'd have been the perfect way to go out. If it was like something Josh loved. <laughs> uh, he's watched some good movies lately. I mean, he's already seen them a million times. We've been showing his son. That's kind of cool. It is. It is. Adventures in babysitting, stolen kisses. I don't think I've seen Stolen Kisses. Doesn't look familiar. Adventures in Babysitting, Break Into Electric <laughs> Boogaloo. Adventures in Babysitting is a better movie, but Break Into, if you're watching it with a good group of people, is the most fun. Really? <laughs> oh, it's so great. Because you can't stop laughing if you've got the right group of people. It's just so much fun to make fun of. I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Why don't you pick adventures and I'll pick break and we'll just let the coin choose. All right. <laughs> adventures wins. That's fair. Because it's an actual movie as opposed to what breaking is. <laughs> Children of the Corn, 1984, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp. 30 Days of Night, The Karate Kid, 2010. <sighs> I don't even remember if I liked 30 Days of Night. I think I actually did like The Karate Kid, so I'm just going to go there, I think. I liked 30 Days of Night. I didn't care about Karate Kid. I'll flip it. This is the best percentage of winning I've ever had, like (laughs) 50-50 yet. Uh, It's always when you don't give a fuck (laughs) which one Devil's Rejects. I'd love to win that one. (laughs) L.A. Confidential, Funny Face. Uh, L.A. Confidential. Undercover brother Mississippi burning. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Podcast episode over. (laughs) All right. (laughs) See you next week. What do we have next week? You know? Oh, gosh. Off the top of my head, uh, I don't actually know. Sorry, audience. I've just dropped (laughs) the ball this week. Uh, But (laughs) hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>